If you have a, a Bible with you this morning, if you want to turn with me uh, to Psalm uh, 4, and uh, this morning uh, we bring uh, to conclusion uh, your summer series of uh, the summer uh, in the Psalms. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 4. psalm that we read is for the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. <clears throat> so uh, Psalm 4, uh, let's read from verse 1. Answer me when I call you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O man, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Selah. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call him. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And this is the word of God. I want to uh, introduce you to these uh, two uh, gentlemen on the, on the screen. Uh, no, that's not a young Cyril Campbell. Uh, this is uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, but it does go back to his youth uh, when people talked about the top of the hit parade and uh, Cyril called everything groovy. Uh, uh, that goes back, goes back a bit. Uh, but according to uh, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, it's the same old story everywhere I go. I get slandered, libeled. I hear words I never heard in the Bible. Well, why... Whilst uh, Simon and Garfunkel uh, may have learned words that they never heard in the Bible, a slander uh, is not a concept that is foreign to the Bible. Instead, the Bible often speaks about slander. For example, it forbids slander because it's a sin, uh, a sin which can have far-reaching effects upon those who are slandered. Uh, and Psalm 4 is a, a passage in the Bible that brings us face to face with slander and its effects. And in particular, it draws our attention to those moments at the end of a busy day uh, when the author David lies down and thinks back on the day that has gone past. Lying there uh, in, in the darkness, he remembers uh, the slanders that he has faced that day, uh, and he remembers the hurts uh, that they have caused him. And yet, while this psalm speaks to us about David's experience, it also speaks to us about our own experience. Now, the psalm's inscription for the director of music reminds us that here actually is a psalm for public worship. Here's a psalm that speaks to us about all of our experiences. As one commentator notes, there are days in the lives of all human beings which require a psalm like this at their end. For as he says, it addresses a fundamental human experience, the experience of injustice, suffering, and oppression. And he's right, isn't he? We all know what it is to suffer 
the injustice of slander, of false accusation, of malicious gossip, of, of rumor, and often without the opportunity of, of being able to give a defense, without being able to offer our side of the story. As we say, we just had to sit there and take it. So how do we cope? How can we respond to wagging tongues? Indeed, how ought we to respond in the face of falsehood, accusation, gossip, unfair criticism? Of course, these are issues not only that we have to face as individuals, but we often have to face them corporately, don't we, as Christians? I, as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ, should we respond when we're being slandered? when people are are misrepresenting Christians and the gospel. How should we deal with this? Well, this psalm, I think, helps us. And first of all, we see that it opens in verse 1 with a plea to God. It opens with a plea uh, to God. It opens with that expression that's common to several psalms, answer me when I call you. Here's a man who in his trouble cries out to God, not in a cry of exasperation, but of expectation. For he addresses God as my righteous God. Here's the God who by his very character is righteous and will uphold justice. But it's not just that the the psalmist expects him to uphold justice in some general sense. He's referring to God as my righteous one. He's hopeful, he's expectant, he's confident that God will uphold his cause that God will defend him in the face of the unjust things that have been said about him. This is an important biblical principle, isn't it, whenever we we, we think about suffering and injustice. Perhaps when we feel we we have no possibility that we will have justice. On such occasions, we must remember the character of God. He is the righteous one. He is concerned about justice. So when we suffer injustice, we know that God is concerned about us. He's, he's concerned to uphold justice. Well, perhaps we think, well, yeah, but God's only interested in those kind of big global issues of injustice, poverty and COVID and global warming and that type of thing, the things that capture the, the attention of the media. But this psalm reminds us that whenever we suffer a personal injustice, we can turn to God. We can call out to Him. And indeed, there will be occasions in our lives whenever it is God alone who can vindicate us. There will be those times when our only hope is to throw ourselves upon the Lord. This whole idea of the God who upholds our cause and upon whom we can rely for vindication in the face of injustice, is brought out very clearly for us in the New Testament in Peter's first letter in 1 Peter chapter 2. And there Peter is addressing Christians who are in danger of suffering unjustly. They're citizens who are in danger of suffering unjustly at the hands of the governors. Christian slaves who are in danger of suffering unjustly at the hands of their masters. Christian wives who are in danger of suffering unjustly at the hands of their husband, and they're living in a society where people are saying all kinds of things about Christians, and they can't take their case to arbitration. So what do they do? Well, Peter points them 
to the example of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 onwards. And he says that in his trial and death, he suffered, he says, the most unspeakable injustice. Well, how did he respond? Well, Peter says he didn't retaliate. He didn't retaliate with, with foul language. He didn't retaliate with violence. He didn't, as it were, give as good as he got. Rather, Peter says in verse 23, instead he entrusted him to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter says this is the example that we are to follow. Whenever we suffer injustice and and there's apparently no remedy, no one interested in, in our side of the story, no one interested in the truth, he says we ought to commit ourselves to God, the one who judges justly. For there will be a coming day of vindication at his hand. And it's the same principle that the psalmist sets before us. When no one wants to know our side of the story, we can cry out to God. We can cry out to the righteous one. Because he is concerned about justice whenever we suffer injustice. And indeed, having cried out to him, as Peter reminds us, we then have to sometimes be content to leave our case in that highest court of appeal. As David cries out to God in this way, we see importantly the basis on which he does so. He writes, give me relief from my distress. Or the ESV, I think, offers a better translation with the words, you have given me relief in my distress. In other words, the the psalmist's confidence in prayer is rooted in previous experiences of prayer. He is someone who in the past has experienced God's answer to his prayer in times of distress. And again, this point is important for us, that whenever we suffer injustice, we ought to stop and to, and to take stock. We ought to look back and recall those times in the past whenever we have prayed, whenever God has heard us, whenever God has answered us. And that's important for us too, not only as individuals, but also as the church. We need to bear that, I think, in mind in the days in which we live. We do live at a time where Christians and the church are often abused, slandered, despised, mocked, cancelled, and we're perhaps apt to become discouraged. We may even think to ourselves, well, there's never been a time like this before. But we need to step back and recall those times in the past when the church has been under severe pressure when Christians were despised, when Christianity was scorned. And we ought to recall how in those days Christians called upon the Lord and He did deliver them in their distress. That should encourage us to look to the Lord once more, to call upon Him for relief. Our past experiences of God's blessing, our past experiences of God hearing and answering our prayer should become the basis by which we approach His throne with confidence. For we know, as the writer to the Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 4 and 16, whenever we approach His throne, we will find grace. We will find mercy. We will find His well-timed help. The confidence that David speaks of is not brashness, for as he continues in verse 1, Though we may be suffering unjustly, 
our prayer is still a prayer for grace. He writes, be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Yes, he has suffered an injustice, but he realizes that God owes him nothing. He can't come to God and and demand justice. His suffering in this case may be innocent. There's also something relative about that innocence. He may be innocent regarding the matters of which he's been accused, but before God he is a sinner and all he dares ask for is mercy. Again, David offers us a very important perspective on those occasions when we feel that we have been treated unjustly. Our response on such occasions is very often to get on our our high horse, to be completely outraged and become inflated with pride. Say, well, I've never been treated like this in my, my life before. Oh, I would never act like that. I would never behave like that. David reminds us that very often we need to get a sense of perspective on our troubles. That perspective is that whilst we may be suffering an injustice, being treated unfairly, there's no one amongst us who's completely innocent. And if God were always to treat us with the justice that we demand on such occasions, we would be very sorry indeed. Instead, we ought to be careful to temper our cry for justice with a plea for mercy. Because as the preacher and author R.C. Sproul notes, it's dangerous for us to ask for justice because we just might get it. We just might get it. Well, the second part of the the psalm then in verses 2 to 5 we see uh, consists of a complaint uh, about others. Having rightly addressed God at the outset of the psalm, David now turns his attention uh, to those around him who are causing him such great distress. And he's teaching us an important principle that we should learn to address the Lord about these situations before we start to talk to others. See, it's Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher, said, He who dares to face his Maker will not tremble before the sons of men. As David addresses them with the familiar cry, how long? He gets to the nub of the problem, that is, they have turned his glory to shame. This has happened as they've become consumed with delusions and lies. Again, I think the ESV is helpful here. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? This whole situation has arisen through the spread of lies and and rumors. David is being slandered. David reminds us here of the power of words. That words can disturb us. Words can injure us. Words can hurt us. And how Satan, the father of lies, loves to use lies and falsehood and distortion to inflict harm upon us and upon God's people. And indeed, we see that words are so powerful that they affect a man like David. Uh, We love to laugh and mock the snowflake generation. Well, David was no snowflake. He was a man who had faced literal wild animals, literal slings and arrows. He was a man who had fought a giant. And yet even a man like this could be disturbed by the malicious falsehoods of others. So we should not be surprised when lies and slanders injure us. We need, to, I think, to remember that. Sometimes we, we sit, don't we, when people have said things about us and we say, oh, why am I letting that get to me? We can be injured. 
are the words of others. Well, David questions those who slander him. How long will they continue in this way of malicious lies and falsehoods? And he questions them because he wants to confront them and confront their lies with a powerful truth. In verse 3, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. As David prays and, and thinks things through, here's his response to the situation. He recognizes that he has been set apart by God. And though these people may huff and puff and spread their lies about him, ultimately he belongs to God. And his enemies with their whispering campaign, they can only go far, as far as the limits that God has placed upon them. They cannot ultimately harm David. And it's an important perspective for us to learn to adopt. That ultimately we belong to God. Though people may injure us and cause us distress by their words, we belong to God. God God has taken us into His protective custody. Nothing can harm us. Indeed, as Jesus points out in the New Testament, As Christians, not even death can harm us. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. When we experience injury and slander at the hands of others, we we need to remind ourselves of this truth that we, we belong to God. And while others may hurt us, they cannot ultimately harm us. The truth that we too need to remember at this time when the, the Christian faith, I think, is under pressure. We are God's people, and He will protect us. He will accomplish His own good purposes for the church. And while we might feel a little self-conscious about saying to others, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself, it's a truth that we need to remind ourselves of. Then David also tells his detractors and despisers in verse 3 that because he belongs to God, then God will hear him when he prays. He reminds these gossip mongers that God will deliver him from evil slanderers. And again, it's an important truth. That whenever we face accusation, whenever we face slander, whenever we feel the heat of others' malice, we can be assured that God does hear and answer prayer. And that should fill us with hope and quieten our hearts. Now, because these things are realities, David then offers his enemies two pieces of advice in verses 4 and 5. The first of these is a word of caution. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. In the light of what he has just said, David urges these people not to be rash, not to be hot-headed, Again, he recognizes the power of malicious talk, that people can get carried away with the the rumor mill as it gains momentum. People don't want to be confused by the facts. But David urges them not to act rashly and sinfully in their anger. Rather, he cautions them to reflect carefully on what he is saying. The second piece of advice then that he offers to them uh, is that they should Uh, then uh, turn from their wicked ways. They should turn from their wicked ways and offer right sacrifices and trust 
in the Lord in verse 5. In other words, they should repent of their sin, seek to make the necessary sacrifice of atonement, and get right with God. Now, these two pieces of advice, when combined with David's own self-understanding that God has set him apart and will hear his prayer, confronts these slanders with a powerful truth that there will be for them a day of reckoning. There will be a day whenever David is vindicated because God has set him apart. God will hear his prayer. That day will be a day whenever those who falsely accuse him must give an answer to God. Bearing this in mind, they should repent of their sin and get right with God because one day they will give an answer to God. It's again reminding us that whenever we find ourselves the victims of injustice, we must commit ourselves to God. We must take the long view. But there is a coming day when God will vindicate us. And so often that is what the Christian view must be. It must be the long view. That's what faith requires of us. To keep trusting in God, even when it seems that the lies and the slanders of others are prevailing. To believe there is a coming day of vindication. But I think he's also reminding us here that there are those times when we must confront our accusers. Those times when it's our solemn duty to remind them that there's a coming day of reckoning. Yes, their lies may seem to triumph now. They may seem to carry others with them now. But there will come a day whenever they will stand before God and give an account of themselves. And just as Christians must take the long view, so must they. Of course, while this is true on a personal level, it's also true in the greater scheme of things. While there are those who slander God's people now, while they subject them to shameful misrepresentation, while they stir up others, while they distort the truth about God's people, there will come a day when these people will stand before God and give an account of the words that they have spoken against the people of God. Remember that. Remember that. The next time someone says something totally untrue, something totally outrageous about the Christian faith, remember that. Yes, these people may get a slot on television now. They may get their column in the newspaper now. They may have the audience roaring in laughter now. But there is a day. There is a day when they will stand before God and give an account. But I think we should also notice that there's a certain tension here. That while we hope for vindication at God's hand before those who treat us unjustly, we must also realize, as David does, that those who treat us unjustly are also people who need the gospel. While we hope for vindication in the long run, we must also seek to persuade the very people who insult us and falsely speak against us with all kinds of evil that they too need the gospel. I was reading a little uh, prayer update uh, just on Friday about a Chinese pastor uh, in prison, I think, for 18 months, uh, typically thrown into prison, no trial, no, no due, due process, uh, doesn't know completely what he's charged with or when he'll ever be free. Well, what was he saying? Pray for my captain. 
pray for my country. The people who treat us unjustly, they too need the gospel. Well, the third and final section of the psalm uh, is in verses 6 through to 8. And here David has a word for his fellow sufferers. Having called them the Lord, having addressed those who slander him, David finally addresses those amongst his friends and followers who are overcome with despair. He addresses those who ask, who can show us any good? Many of his friends can see no hope, no, no prospect of any good in the midst of this situation, such as the, the grip of the despair that engulfs him. Well, what can David say to those who are gripped with such pessimism? Well, he says three things to them. First of all, he prays in verse 6. Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. He recognizes that when people are in the grip of darkness and despondency, it's only the Lord who can lead them out of that darkness. There's only one who can show them good. That is none other than the Lord himself who can shine light in their darkness. And David prays in words echoing, I think, the ironic blessing in Numbers 6, 23 to 27, that God would reveal himself and shine light into their darkened hearts. Again, we see the power of lies and slander, for not only is David disturbed, but those around him are disturbed by what's being said as well. We know that often what wounds us wounds those who are, who are close to us. And we want to comfort them. Yet we can find that our words have limited effect. We find it difficult to, to lift others out of their discouragement, particularly if we're discouraged ourselves. David reminds us that whenever we feel ourselves unable to help others, we can and still ought to pray for them. To recognize that sometimes it is only God who can bring comfort. It is only God who can shine light in the darkness. So first of all, he prays. Secondly, he testifies about his joy. Verse 7, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. He speaks to them of those times in his own life and experience whenever God has filled his heart with joy, with a sense of joy that surpasses the joy that comes from earth's richest provisions. He says to his friends that whilst they are looking for better times, what they really need is the Lord, the joy that he alone can bring in such a dire situation. That, I think, is a word that speaks to us all. And so often in life, whenever there are those, those dark times, whenever we feel the, the pain and the hurt of conflict with others, we want a change of circumstances. We want to move on. We, we want to move away. We want to, we want to look to other things. And yet David reminds us that God can fill us with a sense of His joy, a joy that transcends circumstances, a joy that surpasses the joys that this world has to offer. And many can testify to this in their own experience. That when, as the hymn writer says, other helpers feel uncomforts flee. There is a greater joy than any earthly comfort. There's perhaps no more bleak book in the Bible than the aptly named Book of Lamentations. It's a heartbreaking book. If you haven't read it before, it is not really a heartbreaking book. It's filled with a sense of devastation, of, of loss, of fear, of confusion, of shame, of guilt. But right in the middle of this book is the most remarkable passage in chapter 3 and verses 21 to 33. 
And suddenly in the midst of all this bleakness, there's hope. There's joy. How well the prophet remembers God's love, God's compassion, His faithfulness, His promised salvation in the midst of calamity. He finds joy in God that transcends earthly circumstances. I think of that moment in Acts 16 where where Paul and Silas have been seized by a mob. They've been severely flogged. They've been been thrown in a Philippian jail and they're they're lying there in chains. In the face of that bloody injustice, what do they do? They sing hymns to God. They know a joy that transcends earthly circumstances. Or we think of the Lord Jesus Himself who endured the cross and suffered its shame. Why? Because the writers to the Hebrews says, for the joy, for the joy set before Him. This is the joy that David writes of here. Joy that transcends earthly circumstances. Joy that God alone can bring. He speaks of joy. And thirdly, he testifies about his peace. Verse 8, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. He writes that despite the rumors and the slanders and the pain that they bring, he can still go to his bed at night and sleep. Yes, others may be crushed and anguished and tossed and turn all night, but he sleeps in peace. How can he do this? For he says, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David recognizes that his times are completely in God's hands. These people may slander him. They may cause him deep distress. And he can do nothing to stop them. But his times are in God's hands. And he would not have them anywhere else. Because God keeps him safely and protects him. That too is a lesson that we need to learn. We must learn as the apostle exhorts us not to be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace which God alone can bring as we commit ourselves into the hands of a sovereign God. We live in a fallen world. And we all know what it is to be slandered, to be misrepresented, to have people tell lies about us. We know what it is to be, to be falsely accused. We know what it is to, to bear the stigma of being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a psalm that reminds us how we might respond on such occasions and find the joy and the peace which God alone can bring as we entrust ourselves to Him. May God bless His Word to our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank You for Your Word this morning. And Father, we thank you that it helps us to understand and to address the very real circumstances in which we sometimes find ourselves in a fallen world. Father, help us afresh this morning to understand the teaching of your word. And Father, help us amidst our 
distress, our sense of injustice, Father, to always commit ourselves to you, to trust in you, to hope in you, and to, Father, find in our lives the joy and the peace that you offer to those who will put their trust and their confidence in you. Father, we pray in particular this morning for any who are undergoing such times in their lives where perhaps they are subject to the lies and the misrepresentations of others. Help them, Lord God, to trust in you, to know, Lord God, that with you there is justice, there is vindication. And Father, for your church at this time in our own land, Father, that's so often misrepresented, misunderstood, falsely accused, Father, help us to have confidence in you, to know that you are indeed the sovereign Lord, to remember the Lord Jesus Christ promised that he will build his church, and even the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. Father, help us to have that faith, that confidence, that trust in you. Lord God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.